0: Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and this is Positive and Negative, a podcast about mental health and the arts. This show is possible in part by Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash wordsmiths if you want to support us there. In this episode, I speak to hilarious stand-up comedian Gina Bloom. Gina and I have an excellent conversation about her coming out as trans, stand-up comedy, and her mental health. During the course of the discussion, however, we do touch upon suicide in a pretty graphic way, around 27 minutes in. So, please be aware of that. Here she is talking about courage through adversity. But I always knew there was
1: something up. I always knew that... And down. And down. I always knew that I was, I was compensating mm-hmm. um, and working really hard to keep something underneath. And I guess, you know, if you can be brave enough to transition, then you can be brave enough to do just about anything. So just don't be afraid of it, whatever it is. Let's get into the interview. I wanted to run a show at Misfit Hive, but um, I just didn't have time to produce another show because I'm, sure. I'm producing four shows and I have uh, a podcast of my own that I'm starting. So
0: it's Oh, like, very cool. Yeah. What's the podcast about? So
1: the podcast is about um, bringing, um, like, it's like a, it's a pop culture podcast, and it's having okay. women watch, like, guy movies. Right. Yeah. I've seen I've, um, I've posted about it, yeah. yeah I've, I've, been I've been casting for it. Yeah. Calls to action, that kind of yeah, thing. That's yeah. That's great. And we just taped the first two episodes um, yesterday. Yeah? Yeah. Um, what movies? Roadhouse and Fight Club. <laughs> very so, cool.
0: So... I think there's not yeah. more of a man's movie than Fight Club, I yes, feel like. Yes, yes.
1: And then next week is um, The Professional and mm-hmm. Rocky Four. So. Very fun. That sounds very fun. So we'll... And then it'll, it'll settle down into a weekly, but mm-hmm. I need you to get, like, a few in mm-hmm. the bank. Where, what are your shows and where are they? Like, my stand-up shows? Yeah. Oh, um... <clears throat> oh, the ones I'm producing. Yeah. yeah. All right. I have... I have one at the Duplex. That's going to be on this Thursday. I have one- um, Are they themed? This is That one is just um, mostly queer comedians. Okay. I have, I have another one at a bar nearby called Henry Hudson that is like the headliner show. You get like a national headliner and then- Oh, very cool. A few comics to go around them. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this show called Question Mark, which is basically the concept changes every two weeks. So <laughs> okay. We did a musical show, and then before that, we did a, a we did a, a Mean Girls theme show. Mm-hmm. Then we did a show with PowerPoints, and it was it's really fun. That sounds fun. That's that one I'm really happy with, but I think the venue is going to go out of business, so I need to find a new home for it.
0: <laughs> that is that is fair. Um,
1: when did you start doing comedy? About two years ago.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was the the catalyst?
1: Coming out actually. Um, I, I um, you know, I had to go through all of the the rigmarole of mm-hmm. the transition, and like I got through it, mm-hmm. and then like, and I, you know, all of that effort, all of that time, and all of that logistics is like. Then I had to like, what am I gonna fill my time with? <laughs> and
0: <laughs> so you just created
1: a vacuum was created. A vacuum was created, like an energy vacuum was created. I had all this like activity I'd been doing for the past like year and year and a half and like mm-hmm. then it was all done and then like um, I had I had been in the movie business in like the independent side for a mm-hmm. long time when I lived in LA like for seven years and and I have a degree in film that's why I do a film podcast so but I didn't want to do the same thing especially given how slow moving film is mm-hmm. and like I wanted something that was a little bit more immediate, and I could just like directly experience the art and directly experience the consumer of the art. Mm-hmm. And then I always, people are like, You should try stand up because it's, it's, you know, when you know how it is. I mean, before you start, everyone's like, You should try it. And then mm-hmm. they don't trust it because anyone who's halfway funny gets told that. And most, <laughs> and most people who try stand up are terrible. Yes. So I, I never took it seriously, but then I was like, I might as well try it. Mm-hmm. And then it stuck. It, it took. It stuck? It, it stuck stu- and it took. It stuck and it took. It's, it's stuck. Yeah.
0: Or stuck here. That's, that makes sense. Um. So I feel like there was a very similar thing that happened with me of like up until having something to talk about, I felt uncomfortable doing stand-up.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I, like I didn't have a reason. And like sometimes I would be like, I should have done this a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I should have transitioned a long time ago. That's, there's no question about that. But like stand-up, I was like, but. I, what would I have talked about? Yeah, like five years ago. What would I have talked about seven years ago? Yeah, it would just I would be like, it would just be some dude that had nothing to say. And like, <laughs> there's already enough of that in stand-up. Absolutely. Yeah. There are so many dudes with nothing to say.
0: Another dude talking about his film degree. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. imagine that. <laughs> another, another frustrated filmmaker
1: that. Oh, right. um, also can't get a date, so it's like, <laughs> what? I've never heard of that before.
0: Yeah. yeah. And how, like, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but <coughs> I'm going to ask it anyway because I think it's interesting because yeah. I don't know the answer. How do people react to you um, being a trans woman when they're on? You're on the lineup of the show. Oh, you know,
1: it's. I have gotten mostly support. Um, yeah. Good. It's been mostly supportive. I want to say especially in New York, I have done okay. some road work and that has been mostly supportive too. I can detect when someone, usually when someone doesn't have, when someone has a problem with either me as mm-hmm. a person or me as a concept. <laughs> and, um... Sorry, that... I know, I know. Me but, as a concept is a very... Yeah, but very that, that it's true, that's what yeah. I think. And I can usually tell, and it hasn't, it hasn't happened to inter- it hasn't interrupted my my career so far as I can tell mm-hmm. I get booked um, pretty steadily
0: I've noticed congrats thank That's you great
1: thank you I, I get and I get opportunity like like it grows like my
0: do you know why that is though it's because you're very funny Gina. oh well thank you yeah I try yeah good
1: yeah um and like things happen like I've I had you know I, I did the the festival just last night I did not win the she double festival. And but I was a finalist, which mm-hmm. means I was the top six out of 50 comics, which is pretty nice. That is. And then the month before I won the, the Harlem Comedy Festival, which meant mm-hmm. that I was the number one comic out of 25 comics. so mm-hmm. I, I guess that's flattering and mm-hmm. it just shows that people are
0: being open-minded. Yeah, and that's not a bad credit to have either. Like
1: no, it ha- no it's and I, I'm already taking advantage of it like I've, I've mm-hmm. been a it would have been better to win, but I, I'm still <laughs> taking, I am still taking I'm still taking advantage of that finalist she double credit. Absolutely. It's already on my Instagram.
0: Great. I'm glad. I'm very happy for you. Yeah. yeah. Cuz um and like I said like I do think you're very funny and I think it also is like at least, this is my opinion about it is like if you if you weren't funny, I feel like people would be less supportive. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I I hate
1: to I tried really hard not to like like brag or even get the appearance of bragging. But mm-hmm. people laugh. Like when I go on stage, they laugh when I want them to. And that and that's good. That's mm-hmm. what that's why I'm up there. I want them mm-hmm. to laugh when when I expect them to. And and then I get booked on stuff and like my bookings have gotten progressively better and I've been paid for it and I've done corporate and mm-hmm. stuff and like so it's like I yeah, I feel like because I'm capable of making people laugh, they're they're supportive of me in general, and I I I do um, I do make kind of an effort. I don't know if it's an effort, purposefully or just my sense of humor, but I do kind of track toward a mainstream audience. Sure, like I don't get to. Um, like, I have a lot of sex stuff in my act. It's a mm-hmm. lot, but it's like, but it's goofy and it's like, and it's accessible. Yeah. It's like, you know, it, it, it's not too, it's, it's in, I don't know how to phrase this. It's in your face, but it's not too specialized. Like it, I, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not presupposing the audience has like any extra knowledge of who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and I also have a lot, you know, bunch of dumb jokes about Taco Bell and dollar stores and things <laughs> like that, that, you know, people... Everyone can relate to and then and then because I have a unique experience, I you know, as a as a biracial trans woman that has been like this is something I've just started working on and like people perceive me differently now that I've transitioned. And mm-hmm. I I don't know, I think that I think that we're in a time and in fact I just heard this morning that the Trump administration is like trying to like yeah. redefine gender by biology and like we we live in a time where like all of a sudden the the one and a half million of us are are very are very like loudly conceived by people who don't have stake in our lives and i try to be like a a friendly presence mm-hmm. on stage to like just i don't know maybe just to take some of the fear off of people and so I'm not as afraid of them either because, you know, I'm, I'm ingratiating on stage. I think that is part of why I've been able to get, you know, move a little quicker than a lot of people.
0: Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I feel like, and this is, like most of my sets about like mental health stuff and I yeah. try to make it as silly and fun and light as possible because if it goes too much the other way, people are going to feel uncomfortable and they're not going to laugh and then they're like, this yeah. guy's not even a comic.
1: Yeah, yeah. And like, I... I I do the same thing to some degree, Um, and I have. When when I did when I did the festival yesterday, I I got a little bit. I had to stretch eight minutes of material into Mm ten. This is probably why I didn't win. Mm -hmm. And um, so I I just pounded on like applause lines for a little while and worked the crowd a little too much. But Mm -hmm. but I have, I have discovered that I can do that. I have Mm -hmm. discovered that I can like rabble rouse a little bit. Sure. Which is new. It's it's like that's that's neat. I haven't ever been able to do that. Mm-hmm.
0: And you mentioned briefly that like people treat you different um, differently now that you've transitioned. Yeah. And You you're talking specifically racially. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, not to I kind of buried that. Yeah. So um, one of the big themes of when I started stand up was the difference in the way I was treated now that I've changed genders according mm. to everyone's viewpoint <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> always the same person but like i just started dressing differently um mm-hmm. and like that was great that was a lot of fun and it's still it's still a big component of of my of my um of my act and just of my life in general but one thing i noticed that while i was working on that was that i was remembering when before i transitioned and it's kind of hard to say you've been treated like an Asian, but I was treated like an Asian. Sure. Like, for when I would say that, you know, I was Filipino, mm-hmm. no one would have a problem believing it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, there were people would ask me sort of the stupid cliche questions that they would ask any sort of like Asian Asian dude, like, "Are you good with computers? Do you know kung fu?" That that's sort mm-hmm. of like dumb stuff, mm-hmm. the cliche stuff, and. Now that I've transitioned, nobody asks me Asian lady questions. No no one no one and when I say that I, I'm half Filipino. They're like, I can't see it. Like, you look like a white lady. And like mm-hmm. and like I and like I get that treatment, um where it's like, yeah, it's like they they just automatically just put me into the club. Mm-hmm. Anyone does. Um and I get that white lady treatment everywhere I go. And, which I guess is weird, but like, it's just an unexpected benefit and like, there's a lot to unpack there because I'm not any different. Like I haven't had reconstructive surgery and I haven't done anything um, major to my appearance besides start wearing makeup and grow my hair long. hmm But somehow I became a different race. <laughs> I don't know how but i did (laughs) and i think that says a lot about about our society that absolutely it absolutely does that that you're just going that that if you're nerdy and you're a guy and you're and you're good in math and you're a little bit dark well then you must be you must be some sort of like eastern person but Mm -hmm. if you're but if you're a white lady and you and you have contact lenses and and you, <laughs> and you shop at Anthropology now, then then you're a, then you're a white person. Then, mm-hmm. then oh, what? I didn't see you as Filipino. Like yeah,
0: that's so odd.
1: But I'm still the same nerdy person that's good in math. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah very but, strange.
0: Yeah, it kind of shines a light on like. I feel like our racial biases are completely appearance based. They then, are. They
1: absolutely are. And therefore arbitrary. They're arbitrary and they're based on appearance and they're based on like cliches that have been handed down that aren't even accurate. I mean, I don't know fucking kung fu any more than I did. <laughs> you know, when I was growing up. Yeah. And um but you know, it it is it is like this weird thing. And like that's kind of because I, I have a very unique set of experiences being a, a biracial transgender person where I've I've sort of straddled a lot of identities a lot of a lot of perceived identities, and and then the fact that I I have the ability to make jokes about it gives me something to talk about on stage that I that no one else can I I think mm-hmm. and like or very few can and I'm never worried about people stealing my jokes yeah I never worry about it because. They wouldn't be able to sell it. Like that wouldn't make sense anymore.
0: Yeah, like if I did the like now I'm a white woman that people yeah, would yeah. be like, What are you, ta- what are are you <laughs> talking about? What are you
1: talking about? It doesn't make any sense. No, not a bit.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's that's very cool. And I think I think I mean, I when I say cool, I mean I think that's very interesting. That that I
1: think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. I don't like I remember when I was first exploring this idea and I would tell people about it and they would and mm-hmm. they would be like upset on my behalf, and I'm like, guys, I'm not really complaining. <laughs> like, and and it's dumb to complain to be perceived as a privileged person. Like, mm-hmm. I like I earned a level of like American racial privilege by being perceived white. So mm-hmm. it's it's not something that I should complain about because I get t- better treatment now. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. It's yeah. just it's just, a, it's just an observation, and it's a weird thing that happened to me mm-hmm. completely unexpected like collateral change from the main thing mm-hmm. and this then it just became like oh well that's fascinating to me let yeah. me see if I can work on that
0: and the whole reason you're here is you did a Facebook post for mm-hmm. mental health yes, I did. day um yeah. and you're saying in 2011 you were diagnosed with OCD in
1: 2010 I believe Ten. okay I was diagnosed with OCD in 2011 I was diagnosed with a bipolar too I see yeah
0: I see. What was that process like? Getting those?
1: So, uh, for the OCD diagnosis, I I was actually not even really um, wasn't even really like thinking about it. I I was hmm. I had some attempts at transitioning mm-hmm. that didn't work out, and I in 2010 was one of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I went to go see a a, a, a a psychiatrist in Los Angeles that specialized, you know, this is the prescribing medical doctor, but she specialized in um, psychiatry for the transgender community mm-hmm. in LA and she said well if you feel you're transgender you're transgender but during the course of our conversations just talking about how how I was she's like I, I really believe also that you have obsessive compulsive disorder just by, base, just by the conversations we've been having and by the medical history that you've supplied us and she prescribed me some medication for it and I was afraid to to start doing that. I I mm-hmm. didn't I didn't think that I had OCD until she said it, mm-hmm. <clears throat> because I've always been kind of like a, a low key person, and like the the cliche of of like people with OCD, like from from the media, is like it's a very high maintenance mm-hmm. type thing, and those people are high strung, and like I didn't perceive myself that way, and. um and then I was having some problems the next year. I was in a relationship that was really bad, and I went to go see a therapist to, like, see if I was having problems um, with, um, with like, socialization because I was really depressed. And he was like, no, you're bipolar. Mm-hmm. And do you have – and he started to talk to me about – we, we, we spent a lot of time together. We spent, like, a year mm-hmm. together um, working on that. And he t- – and start talking about my father, and during the course of those conversations, describing like my dad, he was bipolar, mm-hmm. and like, but he was from a, a generation where they just didn't talk mm-hmm. about anything like that. They thought if you went to look at your mental health in any way, that you were admitting weakness. Yeah. And like, I would describe like the way that he would move the family around, and that he would go into like the and he attempted suicide three different times when oh. I was growing up, and like he would spend money like it was going out of style and he would yeah. and he would be like up and down and he would be loud and difficult and then the next day being in a very good mood and like classic bipolar presentation yeah. like like the the obvious stuff so it was like okay well I obviously have this in my family but like how am I bipolar because mm-hmm. I am so low key and I am so and this is what my Facebook post was about yeah because I'm so lucky and I'm so even keeled and I started and in the course of the conversations I had with, with my with my therapist and, and through my own like examination of my past I was like I think the issue was that I was never really allowed to be demonstrative uh, emotionally growing up because I had a bipolar father and I had a, a mother with paranoid schizophrenia also undiagnosed mm-hmm. And um, they...
0: That seems like it might be distracting. It might be
1: a little distracting. Yeah. And, like, they, they sucked all the oxygen out of the room growing up. Yeah. Like, you just... You weren't allowed to, like, complain around either one of them because they always had a bigger complaint. Sure. Yeah. So I just... I learned how to bury it. And I learned how to, like, process it. And um, and what my therapist told me was that I was dealing... Because I... You know, I, I'm a pretty smart person and I was a pretty smart kid growing up he said that I was intellectualizing things sure and that's that was my process of, of being of like of dealing with you know the, the the mental stuff that I inherited I was using my intellectual um, ability to like rationalize my way out of it
0: mm-hmm.
1: which was a good coping mechanism given where I was growing up but it's still just sort of papering over the problem
0: yeah that makes sense and it makes sense that if you're rationalizing it as an adult that would people would be like why are you acting strangely and you're like I'm fine
1: I'm fine look at me I am not Mm -hmm. I'm not acting like my dad I'm not yelling (laughs) and getting angry I'm just Mm -hmm. I am just like putting it down into like concepts that I can like reason with as opposed to feeling it Yeah. yeah and it and yeah, I I put off transitioning for decades. I put off a lot of my life. I was I never had a functional uh, romantic relationship, you know, during that entire time because I I couldn't allow myself to feel a lot of stuff mm-hmm. because I would I would rationalize that stuff too, mm-hmm. and so I people perceive me as asexual. They perceive me as maybe even a little autistic because. I put so much energy into not being like my dad mm-hmm. and not being my mom that I I became like the opposite of that. I became so low-key and so so muffled. Mm-hmm. And only in the past few years since I came out and since I got, you know, my diagnoses and and I accepted them and I got out of that bad relationship that I kind of became like a hybrid person, I guess you could say. I'm definitely still low-key. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just how I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. I think by the time you reach a certain age, that's your personality. <laughs> yeah. And I think personality and mental health are not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. They, they certainly go hand in hand, but they are not necessarily the same thing. There are there are quiet people with bipolar. Mm-hmm. happens all the time. Um, yeah. But that's just like that, I just happen to be one. But because I'm out now and I'm more comfortable with who I am and I'm I'm in the public eye and I I can go and talk candidly like on here mm-hmm. that I am not perceived as quiet or maybe even autistic. I am just now I'm just calm. Mm-hmm. Like I've like I have been it, it's weird that, that this is kind of the theme of like This conversation is that it's a little bit informed by how the outside world perceives you because if you're if you're too much of one thing, then they assume that you're something. Yeah. Like if you're too quiet, then they you're too removed. You're too shy, then they assume that you're autistic. They Mm -hmm. they go the extra mile for you (laughs) on your behalf. Yeah. And and I was just you know it was I wasn't I I went I went to an autism center in Chattanooga and I had a very long. Mm -hmm intake <coughs> session over the pa- over a course of a month and at the end of it she was like you're not you you have you have a highly developed theory of mind you are you are um you're very empathetic mm-hmm. but you have all these like walls built up around you yeah. that are making you into like this small person and people are perceiving autism onto you mm-hmm. for that reason
0: yeah that makes sense I think that's very interesting what you've said about, like, you as a person are quiet, and then yeah. your mind sometimes is not. Oh, absolutely not. It goes all the time. But there is, and I think there's also something to be, uh, I can't remember who said it, but, like, the mind is like a river. You have to just accept the flow of it. Yeah, And yeah. quiet people are that way, too. Absolutely. They're just thinking a lot. Um, but I would like to ask you about something you mentioned, which is um, your father tried to kill himself three times. Yeah, yeah. What was it like living through that? It was
1: hard. It was hard. My dad was, um, from the time that uh, we moved to his hometown, uh, where he grew up, we moved there when I was in the second grade, and we lived there until I was in the ninth grade. And where is that? In uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Understood. And um, so we grew up in his home, so I grew up partially in in his hometown, so it was like all of his cousins were around, the whole family, Bloomington is a college town, but like the townies, part of the town is really small. It's like maybe seventy thousand people now, mm. and um, so like he was already well known. And he, I'm guessing, as part of his bipolar disorder, he, he, um, he did a lot of things that were illegal, um, okay. forgeries and things like that. He. Mm basically because of his manias he would go and I don't want to diagnose the guy but I'm just saying Mm -hmm. based on the evidence that I have from growing up with him he would he would get in in like these states of mania and then he would just make a lot of bad decisions and then he Mm -hmm. would try to like cover them with like activity he thought he could fix later like he would forge his grandfather's signature his grandfather had money Uh and he would forge the signature but he knew that his grandfather was going to die and he would get an inheritance at least Mm -hmm. so he thought So he was basically stealing his own money. That's how he rationalized it. Sure. And, and, but they found out and he went and he was going to go to jail for forging his, his grandfather's signature on a check. And he attempted to kill himself Mm -hmm. rather than go to, rather than go to prison. Mm -hmm. And, um, then he attempted uh, again, um, I think while in prison uh, at one point, Mm hmm. And I can't remember what the other one was. I think that um, I think that happened like after I'd left the house. Sure. So I was out. Of, I was kind of out of the family. We, we had there were five of us. Mm-hmm. So there. Um, so one of those happened when I was not really so much a part of the family anymore. Mm-hmm. But that first one. Yeah. I you know, my my older sister found him hanging from oh his belt. Oh God. And. Um, you know got him down and then he went to jail like not not long after that oh. so the the news was all over the town yeah and then like that's what you know I my my like the fourth grade I think fifth grade that's what was going on and he got out of jail a couple of years later was okay for a little while and then started this other business where he was doing like construction and house flipping and things like that ended up getting to doing something very similar where he like, he like stole some money or something like that. And then Mm -hmm. we ended up, and this time in his mania, rather than try to kill himself, he just packed up the entire family one day (laughs) and moved to Florida, which is where there was the rest of my growing up from age 14 Mm -hmm. till I graduated from college, basically.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, I can imagine why. (laughs) You would decide to be emotionally distant after yeah, that Yeah, you know? yeah,
1: absolutely. And then you know, and that's not even considering my mother that undiagnosed paranoid schizophrenic until the year before she died. Oh well, I'm sorry and to hear that. Yeah, it was it was it was it was hard. And yeah. but like I joke about it because it, it is in retrospect kind of silly that it took us that long because she was yeah. she was demonstrably demonstrably not doing great. Yeah. Um, hallucinating things. She would talk to Jesus. She would pick up ghosts in her car. Oh, no. She would have, like, yeah. this these conversations. She, she wouldn't have them in front of us, but she'd talk about them, like, secondhand. Mm-hmm. And she was always saying that the reason why it was happening was that because she was tired. Like, she was – so we, we believed that. We believed that she was an insomniac because she was. Mm-hmm. And we believed that she was having some sort of, like, you know – sleep deprivation based delusions Mm -hmm. that's what that's what we told ourselves and that she was a weird foreign lady sure and like because she was because she was from the philippines and like you know like that's we were just being like racist kids like 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 sure Filipinos are just weird they believe weird stuff and Mm -hmm. she's sleep deprived and she's a weird foreign lady but um Uh but yeah when like that diagnosis came out like oh yeah that makes perfect sense and Mm -hmm. they put her on like the you know the antipsychotics, and like the last year of her life, she was not hallucinating shit. Wow! Like if we had only had that conversation before she got cancer, we'd only had that conversation when she was maybe in her twenties. Like and like you think about it, and you hear her stories and, and you remember them, and she would talk about how when she was a, a girl, like maybe eleven or twelve, and she saw a UFO, and like and like okay, like when I heard like okay, mom's being goofy, but no, mm-hmm. she was having. She's having the beginnings of her schizophrenic episodes at that yeah. point, and she just happened to perceive them that way. That was the story that her mind gave to her. Mm-hmm. And, but we were just not. We were not a family that that talked about mental health. We were not a family that that wanted anything to do with that. We didn't want. We didn't want to be stigmatized mm-hmm. by you know having a, a bipolar father and and a mother with apparently schizophrenia. Yeah,
0: that. That makes sense because that's a lot to like.
1: Yeah, it's a lot to carry around,
0: specifically as a kid, and like explaining that to your friends has got to be hard. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah.
1: So we just chose to like believe the easy story instead. Um,
0: there's a, a lot. There's been a lot of studies that say, like, pe- specifically people who have bipolar disorder are attracted to other people who have bipolar disorder. Oh yeah, because the wiring's the same. Do yeah. you think number one that was the case with your parents, and number two, has that occurred in your life?
1: Oh, that has occurred often in my life. Mm-hmm. I've had um, I had a relationship with a with a woman I've either um, and I've had bipolar men in my life too. Mm-hmm. But I dated a, a woman uh, for five years. Lived with her for four years, dated mm-hmm. her for five, and she was bipolar and had borderline, oh. and it, and was untreated. Uh-huh. Um, she sort of, she's kind of had the same problem that I did. Uh, mm-hmm. This was the same. This was at the same time when I was sort of learning about my own mental health stuff. I was living with her. Yeah, and this was the relationship that I kind of like that catalyzed all that. Yeah, and like I remember when I moved in with her, I was organizing her records and um her medical records and she was on uh, disability from the government
0: mm-hmm.
1: for her emotional problems yeah which at the time and you know again this is like kind of the the broken record of, of my family mm-hmm. I believe the story that she told me was that her therapist wrote this letter just so she could get Disability, mm. and that it wasn't accurate. And I read it, and it said she was she had borderline personality, she was not functional in human society, and that she had the potential to turn violent to mm-hmm. to any person that stayed with her. Mm-hmm. And then I got in a relationship with her, and all of those things came true. Yeah, she's horribly, violently abusive toward me. could not Could not function without me. Could not function in society. Mm-hmm. and she was definitely bipolar borderline classic presentation and then before i finally left that relationship i reread that letter and i was like this therapist was not lying yeah. this was not a ploy to get her disability i can't believe that i believed that story yeah this was a person warning her of her future and it all came to pass
0: yeah how like not to get too into it, but like oh, go for it. Like, how was that dealing with that kind of personality for that long of a time?
1: It was hard, and like I, I'm very sympathetic, and I, I I've had this issue um, since then, and even before then. I have, mm-hmm. I have a kind of mentality, and I inherited this from my mother because she was obviously, despite her, despite her own issues, she was very much a caretaker for my father. Sure. And I have, and I was very much my mother's favorite. And I have a lot of her personality now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have this sort of like predisposition to want to like take care of people and to like be there for them no matter what shitty thing they do to me. Like yes. Just like my mother did. My, my dad was a shitty husband, cheated on her, um, moved the family around, was verbally abusive. My, um, my ex was physically abusive, verbally abusive also cheated and like, and then like I've had friends and like relationships with people that have had similar sort of presentation, nothing that bad. But like I've, I am kind of a doormat mm-hmm. um, because of, I think because of my mom being kind of a doormat too. And I'm still struggling with that. I'm still struggling to be assertive mm-hmm. um, through all of that. But like mm-hmm. that, I am attracted to that either romantically or, or even with friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, to people that have the same sort of wiring, but are more or more outgoing about it, because my father was outgoing. Yeah. My mother was not. So if I am my mom, I am the not outgoing, like caretaker of the mm-hmm. relationship, sure. and I seek out those outgoing broken people.
0: Yeah, that that absolutely tracks. Um, do you find being like not being assertive is like difficult with the career you've chosen?
1: I am very. I'm not assertive in my personal life. I'm very assertive in my professional life. Good. I I'm and I've always been assertive in my professional life. I've always and in comedy I'm I'm very outgoing and I'm very um, very aggressive about marketing myself, I'm very aggressive about about upgrading my material and about very aggressive about, you know, building a a brand, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And like that's the thing that when people start to know me personally, they're like, "You're you are not who I expected." <laughs> sure, because you're so loud on stage and you're so loud in your social media,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you're so like, and you have like these sort of like crack plans for everything, and like you're mm-hmm. you're very organized. But when I talk to you, you're very laid back and quiet. And, and those are two separate things. Like that public persona and all of that. That's just stuff. I th- I think that um, I think that I learned that living as a male for so long that mm-hmm. you're just expected to be kind of aggressive. Sure. And you know, I I worked in the technology field and I was I was aggressive there. And then I worked mm-hmm. in film and I was aggressive there. Mm-hmm. And it, it was fine for that. No one no one had a pro- no one was like amazed. This is another like <laughs> weird male female <laughs> dynamic. No one is amazed by my uh, by my professional aggression as a male, but as a female that like wow you really got it together like I'm just doing the same (laughs) shit you guys it's no different
0: yeah that makes sense um are you worried at all about being similar to your mother oh yeah absolutely um like not just personality wise but health wise health
1: wise no I because I spent a lot of time in therapy in Chattanooga I Mm -hmm. I you know and like and I was also tested for like, even though my mother was not diagnosed at that time, I was tested for like, for like schizoid type disorders, and yep. none of that actually came to like pan out. Um. It did come out a, a couple of years ago that my older brother started to present some some schizophrenic tendencies. Uh huh. He is he's way older, so um, old enough not way older, but he's 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 older than. Now than my mother was when when she had me, so certainly could have been quietly presenting for a long time and would be perfectly on brand for my family <laughs> to like have been you know dealing with that issue for mm-hmm. decades and not be perceived. But um, but he had some personal setbacks in his life. He had some health problems, and like um, it became. I guess I don't not to put words into his mouth. I guess it became harder to hide. Yeah, and um, and like that dark humor starts to cr- starts to creep out because mm-hmm. I have a sibling here, and we were talking like we were talking about you know the the inheritability of mm-hmm. of schizophrenia, and we were just joking with each other like, oh well, thank God it was him, <laughs> not us. Like sure. really worried about that one. <laughs>
0: Dodge that yeah, part.
1: Yeah. Like he got that he looks like he got that gift from Mom. I got all of her other ones, but <laughs> like
0: he got the really cool one. But but personality wise, are you worried that you're gonna end up with someone like your father?
1: I mean I did. Well I lived with someone for five years. It was very similar to my dad.
0: Well, permanently, I mean.
1: Yeah, of and course not, I do. Yeah, um,
0: not be able to break the cycle.
1: Absolutely. And I find myself I find myself getting with people that that are sort of chron- I'm getting chronically ghosted, okay. Either uh, romantically or 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 friendship, and it's not. It's not in sort of the fuck boy way where like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you fuck a guy and he ghosts you. It's not mm-hmm. that like that. These are like close relationships, mm-hmm. and then the person just disappears.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's my dad. Mm-hmm. That was my dad to my mom. Mm-hmm. He would just disappear often. Yeah and i don't i don't know what i'm doing to seek out these people but i'm certainly <laughs> attracting them
0: yeah and so is, like since you don't know what's going on have you been like working with a therapist there and like or
1: i i worked with a therapist for so long with the trans stuff mm-hmm. i i should work on that i should work or on that I, I i i should take responsibility there because i've just gone through mm-hmm. and i'm continuing to go through like a, a friend relationship that where the person chronically ghosts me like mm-hmm. they come back and they're friendly and then they then they disappear again sure and like that's not a that's not a romantic relationship but it's a close friendship and it's mm-hmm. kind of the same thing and it's actually a little worse yeah because at least in a romantic relationship you can be like a lot of fish in the sea that sort of thing yeah. it's it's harder to make friends when you're when you're an adult yeah and you don't have like a readily accessible peer group yeah to like just hang with um so yeah, I think that there's... I think I still have some work to do. I sure. think I definitely still have some work to do.
0: Um, is it... How does it feel to... Like, I've only known you after you've come out. Yeah. And is it... How does it feel to have friends that have known you before and after?
1: Well, I only have a few friends um, that know me now. Because I left... Um, yeah. I left L.A. And I left... I left badly. Oh. um because I was in uh, a highly um in a high I was in a state of high mania okay and I did a lot of things to damage my friendships uh-huh. um through money and through like you know misrepresenting myself very much like my dad all of a sudden for a little while because um, mm-hmm. I you know I can I can exhibit traits of both of them <laughs> they are my parents yeah and um so I damaged a lot of friendships, and the friendships that I managed to hold on to, most of those were completely severed after I came out. Mm-hmm. And so I only have a couple from my old life. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're great though. Those people mm-hmm. that manage to stick around are great. They're, yeah. They are the best people, So I, and they're the most supportive. So I I, I love them for that.
0: That makes sense. Is, does it, is it upsetting that a lot of people kind of just yeah it is left. I have
1: I had a best friend and an artistic collaborator I had I knew him for 10 years and mm-hmm. or more than that and he was the one that I screwed over um, we were making the film together and we had spent something like $150,000 and I had yeah and I had um, misspent it like I I gave a lot of it away to the to the woman I was dating I I gave just blew it on like stupid shit because I was just trying to run away from myself so I blew about $40,000 out of the hundred and fifty dollars that um, that we had spent so that relationship was pretty much done
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then after I came out it was extra done because he was not the kind of person to support that uh-huh. so I feel bad and I want to make up for what I did I don't have 40 grand, but I I want to do that, but I also know on the other hand that this person is highly intolerant yeah of who I am now. Yeah. And um so that there's a complex like feeling there. I feel bad mm-hmm. for the things I did, but I also know that this person is also shitty. Yeah. So, um I don't know what to do about that. I, I think I I think I'll need to like resolve that in my in some way in the future. Mm-hmm. And because, and because, you know, we live on opposite coasts, it hasn't come up, but eventually it will. If I continue to succeed mm-hmm. in the entertainment business here, it, I will eventually cross him there. Yeah. It will happen.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And like, I don't know um, if you care, but my opinion about it is like, if you can, always try to right the wrongs yeah. that you do, even if it's to people who wronged you. Because Absolutely, that's yeah. the moral high ground, and not Definitely. in the haha way, but in no. The- and
1: I, I, you no, know, that is that that is exactly right. Yeah. Whether or not he's whether or not he's a shitty person and doesn't doesn't support who I am, mm-hmm. I was still a shitty person to him, and I have not made up for that yet, and I and I intend to. I don't know how, but I intend
0: to somehow. That makes sense, and the fact that you have the intention is good as well. Um, Are you worried with your parents being so, so present and so large that you yeah. are defining yourself by them and you feel an absence of a self?
1: I did. I did. And I think that the one good thing, well, it was a lot of good things, but one of the good things about the last three years is that I have, yes, I've identified things in my romantic and personal life where I'm still sort of. Living out my mother's patterns, mm-hmm. but I have, in the last only in the last couple of years, have I become the person that is neither of them, because mm-hmm. neither one of them would be brave enough to get on stage mm-hmm. and just speak truth about themselves, and mm-hmm. neither one of them could function in New York City and not piss themselves. Sure, yeah. they small town people, and and neither one of them could do. A lot of the things that I have done, in uh, and, and neither one of them, most importantly, neither one of them would ever own up to the people that they are. My mm-hmm. dad never, <coughs> never would have said he's bipolar. Mm-hmm. My mother diagnosed apparently schizophrenic, took the medication,
0: mm-hmm.
1: still would not identify as a schizophrenic till the day she died. Mm-hmm. She would take the medication and would just not say it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So neither one of them would own up to themselves. And I think I've done that. Yeah. And I think that's something that they, neither one of them have, would have ever done.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think like that's, that's the point of having kids is to go further than you would ever. And I think that's good. And I'm glad you're like reckoning with all that. What advice would you have for anybody listening that is dealing with both or either or bipolar disorder and also transitioning like what's your
1: i mean it's kind of the it's kind of the the sad truth is that so many of us transgender people also have a lot of other attendant issues to deal with um a lot of us have bipolar it's it's uh, i don't know if i would go as far to say that it's more common in -hmm. the trans community but certainly um Certainly mental health is exacerbated. Mental health issues are exacerbated by being transgender because of the, the social stigma yeah. and that sort of thing, and the isolation. So a lot of us go untreated. Um, I would definitely say that I always knew. I mm-hmm. always knew that I was trans. That was not the hard part. I didn't know that I was bipolar, mm-hmm. but I always knew there was something up. I always knew that, and down, and down. Okay. I always knew that I was, I was compensating, mm-hmm. um, and working really hard mm-hmm. to keep something underneath. And I guess, you know, if you can be brave enough to transition, then you can be brave enough to do just about anything. So, just don't be afraid of it, whatever it is.
0: And I think that's a very good sentiment to end on. And thank you you very much for coming on.
1: Thank you. This has been really, really great. Thank you. You're quite welcome.